Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, August 6th. Calgary City Council may be on summer break, but Mayor Nahed Nenshi still joined us for our Friday check-in. This time out, we talked to the mayor about the shocking burning of part of the memorial to residential school victims that set up in front of City Hall, as well as the looming municipal election. Peacekeepers Day is August 9th and local veterans of Canada's peacekeeping missions will gather at Calgary's Peacekeepers Park to mark the day. Joining us with his thoughts on Canada's peacekeeping efforts around the world today is former Lieutenant Governor and retired Colonel Don Ethel. How to get people working in engineering technology fields and get them equal footing and compensation despite not having a degree or diploma. We discuss a -a one-of-a-kind program developed in Alberta with the CEO of the Association of Science and Engineering Technology Professionals of Alberta, Barry Kavanaugh. And COVID numbers in the U.S. continue to climb and New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is embroiled in controversy that could end his political career. We discuss the state of America with Global's Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. And it is time to check in with Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Happy Friday, Mayor. Good morning, Sue. I, I have to admit to you that I had to go into another room because... <laughs> I know I what you're doing. The, uh, yeah, I, I have the football game on. <laughs> and um, I, I need to tell people, I mean, everyone knows I'm nuts about the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And uh, had it been in 2020, I already had my tickets to go to Tokyo. Oh, really? But I, I watched... Christine Sinclair um, and the team in Coventry in that bronze medal match uh, in 2012. I was at the gold medal women's soccer match in Manacana, the home of the world football in Rio um, in 2016. So this is way too much excitement for this early in the morning. That's oh, all I have to say. It is just, it's the pressure. We're so pumped. I mean, to win gold or silver is amazing. But boy, let's face it. We we want Canada to take home that gold in soccer. It's Come amazing. on, for Christine Sinclair, oh. who has scored more goals in international matches yeah. than any player, male or female, in history to leave with a gold medal, come on. I know. Okay, well, it's 1-1 one, one in the match. We'll come back. We'll get we'll get you off the air and give you time to watch it coming up. But uh, <laughs> I've got some questions for you. And, and somebody just texted this one in. So we'll start off with this. And, and frankly, sure. this is a story that's in the news this morning. Just your thoughts on uh, about removing the water dishes from the park where people have been taking water to, f- you know, give to their dogs on these hot days. Yeah, so this story is about folks who have been bringing water from home to fill kind of a reservoir uh, for other dogs. And the city's concern was, you know, there's a lot of awful people out there right now. And without any control over who's filling that, they were worried that folks might, you know, put stuff in there that could hurt the dogs. But it's so hot. So this is a tough one uh, to balance off uh, because normally you want to, go for the safety of the dogs. On the other hand, this is a lovely community thing that the community came together Mm -hmm. to fill the water bottles. So I intend to have a little conversation today with some folks at the city to understand if they're overblowing the risk on this one. Okay, good. I mean, I get both sides of it for sure. As as you know, I've had dogs all my life too, and I I would be really hesitant to give them water from a bucket where I didn't know where the water came from. So I do understand it, but it is hot out there for sure. Um, I'm glad you're going to follow up with that. Let's talk about, uh, as I mentioned, sad news this week as police continue to look for the person who burned some of the shoes that were placed on the steps of City Hall as a memorial to the Indigenous victims of residential schools. This is really unsettling to me and I would assume to you as well. So much so, you know, so if you haven't been down to City Hall, 
It's actually a very large display uh, that has been growing since the horrifying discovery in Kamloops. Uh, and in fact, uh, I've been thinking uh, over the course of the last month or two, really, what do we need to do in the long term? This is not a permanent memorial. And mm-hmm. so we've been working with some elders to talk about what's the right way to you know, properly end this memorial uh, in the right way with the right ritual. Um, but now someone thought that they would try and do that for us. And that's not right. I mean, it's a horrifying thing. Uh, I would really encourage people to take a look at uh, the security footage that has been released uh, and help us find this guy, because what an unbelievably disrespectful thing to do. You know, that memorial is people really expressing their own horror and their own grief for what happened to those kids, but also standing in solidarity with all the families that are facing the intergenerational trauma. And it was just unbelievable to me. Mm-hmm. I guess that's all I can say about it. Um, ultimately, that temporary memorial, as I say, with the right ceremony, will be moved away. But I hope that we'll be able to build something a little more permanent um, to recognize the trauma that Indigenous uh, residential school survivors face. Yeah, I agree very much so. Um, let's talk about this as well. Rallies every day this week downtown and certainly in Edmonton as well uh, on the province's plans to reduce COVID-19 measures. Councillor Jody Gondek asking for council to be reconvened to deal with it. You said you would call council back if it's necessary. What needs to happen to make that a point where it is necessary for you? Well, I think the first thing for people to remember is that these protests are not about bringing back uh, restrictions on people's behavior. What these are really about, they're actually the nerdiest protests in the world <laughs> because they're about the the back, the, the behind-the-scenes system, the back-of-the-house system that we use to trace, to test, uh, and to isolate. And I was on a call yesterday with you know world experts um and mayors from around the world and i said that we're going to not be testing people in a week's time we've dismantled the contact tracing system and we're no longer requiring people who are contagious who test positive to isolate so they can go to a football game they can go and ride the train or uh go to work and i got to tell you and i said is anyone else doing this i got to tell you the reaction was horror really you know, folks were basically saying, wow, you know, and, and these are folks in places like Texas and Louisiana where they haven't had restrictions in a long time, but they still test, trace, and isolate. And they were just like, wow, you know, um, that should happen maybe a year from now, maybe six months from now, but certainly not as we're going around North America into the fourth wave uh, with the Delta variant. So I frankly just don't understand it. I read Dr. Hinshaw's op-ed. I listened mm-hmm. to what the premier had to say. And I just don't get it. And the argument I'm having is, okay, you want to treat it like the seasonal flu. Well, we don't actually treat the seasonal flu very well. Every winter uh, in non-COVID years, our emergency rooms are overwhelmed and our hospitals are over capacity because of the flu and many people die. So why don't we do the opposite? Why don't we treat the flu like COVID and try and keep people from dying and keep the pressure off the emergency rooms and save money in the long run? through better public health measures. But, you know, ultimately, uh, I don't get it. I don't understand it. The ability for the city to deal with that back-of-the-house stuff is very limited. You know, yeah, we could put the mask bylaw back in, but that actually doesn't solve this problem, which is the problem of testing, tracing, and isolating. So I certainly hope that we'll see a little bit of walking this one back from the Alberta government, because as far as I know, 
uh, in the developed world, Alberta and Saskatchewan stand alone mm. in stopping testing, tracing, and isolating. Interesting. I think it's really important that you just before we just take a quick break um, uh, that you pointed out this is not putting restrictions back in place. This is just making sure that we continue to test. And as a parent sending my kids back to school, I'd like to see that testing continue. Hey, can you hang on for a couple of minutes and we'll come back I with sure a couple can. more questions? Perfect. Back with Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi and Mayor, uh, you know, you've talked about not backing any of the candidates, but we're starting to see the fall election campaign really ramping up your thoughts at this point what you've seen so far and what you think calgarians need to watch for well you know um as everyone knows i was i was quite disturbed by some of the fundraising shenanigans that we saw a couple of weeks ago particularly from councillor jeff davison's campaign um and you know first so the first thing i got to say is folks you got to play clean you know uh, don't look for loopholes don't drive your trucks through them corporate and union donations are not allowed and you shouldn't be finding ways to get corporate donations directly to your campaign and if there's a third party advertiser that's set up to support only one candidate in my mind that is really a violation of the spirit of the law you know, a third-party advertiser that's set up to support candidates who believe in housing, for example, that's one thing. But one that is set up for the sole purpose of supporting one candidate, I, I don't like that. The other thing that you've heard me say before is that the candidates really have an opportunity as we're creating a post-pandemic world to really craft a vision for the city beyond we'll keep your taxes low, but really ideas to change the city. And we're not seeing a lot of that. Everybody, even Councillor Farkas, is like, I'm collaborative and I work with everybody, whether or not that's true. Um, but rather than that, uh, people aren't jumping out with really interesting um, platform ideas. I'll give credit to one candidate, Jan Damery, who actually does have some pretty bold ideas on things she would do differently. They may or may not be great ideas uh, from the voters' opinions, from your personal opinion, but I love that she's getting out there with really interesting ideas, and I'm surprised that we haven't actually seen any of that from any of the council members who will put their names forward yet. But still two and a bit months to go, so mm-hmm. we're just getting into uh, high season now, so we'll see where we end up going forward, and then this will really, really hit high gear around Labor Day. No doubt. Okay, you got 10 seconds to tell us what your summer plans are. Well, I, you may not get me every week. Um, I might take a couple weeks off. I'm not going anywhere. I've got lots of work to do. Yesterday, I spent the day packing boxes in my office, or really opening boxes. <laughs> so nice, relaxing stuff, um, writing transition plans for the next mayor, um, and thinking about the future. You know how to relax like nobody I've ever met before in my life. Right? Well, oh, I will tell you one thing. I will tell you one thing. This week, tonight and tomorrow, were the last nights of the Calgary Fringe Festival. Okay. And uh, they did a beautiful pivot in person, live streaming and on demand. And I got to a bunch of shows. It was awesome. I even went to a movie this week supporting that great local business, the Canyon Meadows Cinema. So get out there, support local business. And if you want, come help me pack boxes. That sounds like fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, back to the soccer game. Still 1-1. Canada going for gold. Thank you, Mayor. Appreciate your time as always. Thanks. Happy weekend, everybody. You too. Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Since 1948, Canadian Forces members have been participating in peacekeeping duties around the world. Over that time, 125,000 Canadian servicemen and women have participated in peacekeeping duties. Joining us this morning is retired Canadian Forces Colonel and former Lieutenant Governor of Alberta, Don Ethel. Good morning, Don. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. Tell us, first of all, about your role in the military and as a peacekeeper and how important that's been to you during your lifetime. Well, it's been very important. We uh, have a national president, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Rick Wright, and uh, a Sergeant-at-Arms, Sam Simpson, a retired uh, regimental sergeant major. They keep us on the straight and narrow, and uh, we have Peacekeepers Day, and and we celebrate that every August, uh, tied to the 9th of August when uh, we had an air, a Canadian aircraft shot out of the sky and uh, killed uh, uh, nine Canadians. We call them the Buffalo Nine. There's a park named after them in southwest Calgary. So uh, uh, we don't, really don't need that reminder, but we've got it there. And uh, we're very, very proud of our peacekeepers past and present. Let's talk a little bit about today. How important are Canadians in peacekeeping efforts around the world right now? I think it's very important because when there are peacekeepers out there, you would like to think that nobody's killing one another. The old expression is standing between the lines and so forth. But uh, there's uh, peacekeeping, peacemaking, as when you're imposing your your presence on the uh, for, uh, or, or, uh, belligerents to try and get them to stop killing each other. And that's worked throughout the years. Canada is the leader in peacekeepers, started by a then uh, Prime Minister, Lester P. Pearson, in 1956. He is the father of peacekeeping, at least as far as Canada is concerned. Don, you talk about peacekeeping. Obviously, you know the history well. Do you think it's important that we as Canadians learn more about our history for peacekeeping around the world and the dedication and the sacrifice that our peacekeepers continue to put in for this country? Well, I think the media does a good job, particularly around the uh, the 9th of August. In this case, it'll be Sunday the 8th of August. And uh, that'll be uh, broadcast with our, our traditional parade and and people there uh, reminiscing about the, their service and uh, the friends that we may have lost, unfortunately. We have had a number of uh, uh, people killed on peacekeeping duty. In the meantime, we've got the Wall of Honor uh, and Peacekeepers Park with 267 uh, names on there, plus others for when uh, Afghanistan came online. we class them as peacekeepers so there's a second wall there that includes all of their names and uh, the families the Kellers and the Delaires where they've lost their sons on peace peacekeeping peacemaking uh, they are very faithful in coming out along with the rest of us and we proudly wear the blue beret uh, uh, celebrating uh, United Nations peacekeeping well, we thank you so much for joining us. Peacekeepers Day is this Sunday. We'll send folks online to veterans.gc.ca for more information. Thank you for your service, and thanks for telling us about it today. Thank you very much for calling. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. That is Don Ethel, former Alberta Lieutenant Governor and retired Colonel.
living out in Alberta, we hear a lot about engineering and there are engineers and there are engineering technicians. And while the two work side by side, they do very different things and have different educational requirements as well. Well, now there's a new program available to help bring these two careers a little more in line. Joining us this morning is Association of Science and Engineering Technology Professionals of Alberta Representative Carrie Lee Scott and ASET CEO Barry Cavanaugh. Good morning to both of you. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, morning, Sue. Thanks for having me. Hey, Barry, let's start with you and let's talk about what is the difference between an engineer and an engineering technician? Well, let's be clear. First of all, we also represent engineering technologists. (laughs) Just to confuse the matter more. (laughs) So, yes, there are three categories. Um, Essentially, an engineer is uh, someone who's graduated from a university with a bachelor's degree in engineering and and, uh, has served a four-year uh, apprenticeship, if you will, under a professional engineer and become a PNG, a professional engineer, a member of a PEGA. Engineering technologists and, and technicians are typically graduates of polytechnic courses, polytechnic institutes, with a two-year program or a three-year program in some cases. And I think uh, fair to say um, it's a very intensive program. Uh, there's, there's very little sort of time to relax or anything of the kind, and there's a substantial education in engineering. I think it's um, really important to understand, too, that uh, engineering technicians are typically on a, another level, um, probably in some cases a one-year program, but in some cases as well, um, just a, it's a matter of choice. So we have 21 engineering technology disciplines, which kind of mirror professional engineering disciplines. And the the way technologists work with engineers is as part of the engineering team. If you were to walk into an office uh, of of an engineering company, you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Okay, so so bottom line, they go to school for different amounts of times. Um, and end up with a different degree, yet are, are working very, very closely together and side by side. And Carrie Lee, let's go to you then and talk about this because you were a SAIT engineering technology student, but weren't able at that time when you were in school to finish the program. So tell us what happened with your situation and, and we know why this is even an issue. Sure. I mean, I was 19 years old at the time. I think we can all we can all appreciate that. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it, it was, to Barry's point, it was a tough, tough slog. I had a tough semester, and I, I decided to take a break, um, and ended up, ended up kind of departing my education. I never thought I would return to an engineering role. I came back, um, ended up in very technical roles in my career, and, and, you know, I needed, I needed to go back and work with Asset on their new, their new program. So are you, I'm trying to understand what exactly the issue is here. Is it that, you know, you're trying to bring these, the whole, this whole industry, the engineering work itself sort of together, Barry, and make it a little more uh, easy for graduates to get through these different programs? Or or what are you you trying to accomplish by bringing this new program into place? Well, in part, uh, we're trying, we're trying to, it's a probably a topic for another day, Sue, but one of the things that we're trying to do is to better integrate engineering technicians and technologists with professional engineers and to um, sort of better differentiate between them so that it's clear who does what. But at the same time, 
one of the big problems that we've always had is that people who've uh, in a situation like Carrie's are not able to get back in, as it were. So we've we used to have fairly rigorous standards national technology benchmarks, which we followed along with our colleague provinces. And uh, essentially, uh, <laughs> you'd be faced with having to meet these standards um, to get in. Um, the difficulty is that a lot of people, uh, once they'd been out for a while in the field, um, couldn't necessarily give us a current academic uh, requirement. Um, we wound up turning away uh, a lot of people, I think. People who could be qualified and people who indeed were qualified. Mm -hmm. We had an additional problem that uh, there were foreign trained engineers who couldn't be recognized by APEGA but were looking to, to come to work as engineering technologists. Makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Right. But they couldn't get access because they couldn't prove they had equivalent education, uh, they couldn't prove their experience, so forth and so on. Um, we decided at one point we had a number of of circumstances that really illustrated to us that we needed to change this. So we decided that we'd do state-of-the-art. We'd, we'd look at the competencies required to, to be an engineering technologist, to be certified, and the academic requirements. We uh, got into work with a bunch of psychometricians and with uh, several hundred subject matter experts from our membership, and we defined competencies for all of these disciplines. Um, competencies that we thought a person who was a graduate of a polytechnic in a technology discipline should have after about two years of engineering experience in the, in, in the field. Sometimes it takes a little longer. But we put those together and, and developed the competencies and uh, then we worked on academic certification examinations just to try and put us in a situation where we could assess somebody's academic knowledge without seeing a transcript necessarily. Right. I mean, we'd like to see that. That's easiest for us. But truth is, especially a lot of the foreign trained applicants, we don't know how to translate that. Anyway, um, we have a state-of-the-art certification examination for our disciplines. And we've been able to say that we have a level playing field. If you come, like in circumstances like Carrie's, uh, where you've, you've got experience in the field, but you don't necessarily have the current academic qualifications, we can assess you based on what you know and what you can prove you know. And that's important from the point of view of assessing foreign trained applicants, too. They don't need to come over here and to hear a PEGA or us say, Oh, sorry, you need to go back to school for yeah. several years. And I mean, that overall, that's a benefit for the workforce in our province and right across the country, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. We've got quite a number of foreign-trained engineers in our membership now who are contributing significantly to the economy of this province. We need them, but they need it to be assessed properly. Makes sense. So this is taking individuals like Carrie Lee, who've taken a less conventional path to their career, but gets them the professional designation, gets them, importantly, the compensation as well, and just moves the economy forward. Wonderful program, first of its kind. We thank you both for joining us and telling us about it. Thanks so much, Carrie Lee. 
Thank you. That is Kerry Lee Scott, Association of Science and Engineering Technology Professionals of Alberta Representative. And thank you to Barry. He's always a great guest to have on. Barry Cavanaugh is the CEO of ASET as well. COVID numbers in the United States continue to rise thanks to the so-called fourth wave. And New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is embroiled in controversy that could end his political career. With details on this and more, we're joined this morning by Global News Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. Good morning, Jackson. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. All right, let's start with, uh, we have to go here, the global COVID numbers globally topping 200 million this week and COVID numbers in the U.S. continuing to climb. What's the latest from your side of the border? Yeah, unfortunately, it is not a good situation. You know, the average daily number of cases now is back over 100,000 per day. Uh, Some pretty solid predictions that that could still double here before this is over. Uh, And places like Florida and Texas, which are responsible for an outsized proportion of cases right now, are really seeing their hospitals crushed right now. They've got more people in hospital than at any other point in the pandemic. And we're talking about they have more people in hospital now than before vaccines were available. So Mm. it really tells you how dire this is. It really is. So in terms of vaccinations, are are other states taking up the cause, even if those two are not? Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing sort of a distinct trend right now in the states with the highest rates of vaccination. They're seeing the lowest rise in cases and lowest rise in hospitalizations right now. And the states with lower rates of vaccinations are the ones that are getting absolutely crushed. And places like Louisiana, for example, only have 35 percent of the population that is fully vaccinated. And that's why they've seen this surge uh, here in the past few weeks. There is some good news in all of this, though, is that interest in getting vaccinated has actually ticked up here in the past week. And we're sort of seeing a rush of people now try to to get their first shots, especially in these harder hit states. Yeah, certainly good news there. And, and we know that the, the Delta variant really is the one that's, that's having just a deadly effect on people. It really is. Uh, you know, this week I actually spoke with Dr. Anthony Fauci about this, and he said, uh, you know, he addressed the sort of criticism that he and others in the medical field are facing about having to walk back the guidance they gave. In other words, you know, we're back to wearing masks here after two months ago being told not to. We're being told that if you've been vaccinated, you still have to get tested, uh, which was not something we thought. And he says, look, the Delta variant here has changed the game. And unfortunately, the science has to evolve with this uh, new form of the virus. Well, and hopefully he, we here in Canada are watching exactly that and, and we'll learn some lessons moving forward. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit to uh, politics. We haven't had a good controversy in a while, so <laughs> this is kind of interesting. Yeah, and I assume you're talking about Andrew Cuomo. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I think it's uh, quite likely here that he will be impeached by his own party here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the process could start as early as next week, and this, of course, all comes out of that uh, state attorney general's report into uh, sexual assault allegations against the governor. And I think it's 11 different women now who've made accusations, including a state trooper who was assigned to his protective detail. It's devastating for the governor. There's a lot of frustration amongst uh, Democrats that he will not step aside and resign. And even President Joe Biden, a member of Cuomo's own party, is saying time to resign, time to go. And what is it? Is he just refusing to acknowledge that, you know, he's been gropey and kissy with all these women and then he won't step aside? Yeah, essentially, uh, he uh, is saying that uh, there was a misunderstanding from these women about what the situation actually was, that he's overly affectionate with everybody. And in his own defense, he actually played a pre-recorded video that included a montage of him kissing various people. As part of his defense. I'm sure that's very helpful. Uh, does he does he have much of a defense here or does it look like somehow some way the Democrats will have to remove him? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a suggestion that this will be referred for criminal prosecution, but when his own party has turned against him and is calling for his ouster, uh, it's a pretty good sign that it's over. Interesting times for sure. And uh, certainly, yeah, when your own call a party is, is calling very strongly for you to step down and you're refusing, it'll be interesting to watch it. Uh, what else is going on in the United States that we need to be aware of? We know that the Canadian border is going to open in just a few days to Americans who are vaccinated. Are you hearing a lot of uh, Americans wanting to come back to Canada now? You know, I think travel is still sort of a sticky subject here for a couple of reasons. And one is that the U.S. Uh, is not reciprocating with countries like Canada and the EU, which are opening their doors to American travelers. The U.S. still is keeping its border restrictions in place. And essentially what they're suggesting is that they're trying to figure out what the requirements for entry to the United States could be. And it's quite likely that they will require mandatory vaccination. And of course, that opens up a whole bunch of questions about what vaccines will they accept? Will they accept the mix and match doses that mm-hmm. many Canadians have? Uh, will they apply this to travelers from all countries? How will you prove it? So those are the things they're trying to sort out right now. And the land border between Canada and the U.S. is caught up in all of that right now. Jackson, have you been watching the Olympics at all? I have not, actually. I've been, you know, a little bogged down with work here. <laughs> I guess, well, you know, maybe that could have been part of your work. I, I do. I just like to say that it's part of mine, so I have to watch it. But uh, how, are, how are people feeling? Are, I mean, you know, we, we don't have anybody in the stands in Tokyo to watch the games, but are Americans seemingly interested in, in watching their athletes performing? You know, actually, one thing that's emerged here is huge disinterest in the games. NBC, which has the rights to them, has seen its viewership drop off by about 50% compared to the 2016 games in Rio. So uh, I think it's a combination of a fractured audience, uh, games that people are sort of wondering about why is this happening, some star U.S. athletes, uh, you know, not performing uh, in certain competitions like Simone Biles, and the fractured media landscape, right? Mm -hmm. People are looking for it on streaming platforms and here, there, and everywhere, and time zones, all those things adding up to really disappointing viewership numbers. Yeah, very true. I, I wonder what, we'll have to see what it is like here in Canada. I think, you know, we're watching some of the games, especially there's a women's gold medal soccer game on right now. Right now, So I know people are into that, but it's it's hard with the time change. You're right. The difference makes it very difficult to, to really get into these games. But, you know, anyway, it's going to be a nice weekend. Hopefully you have a great one. And thank you so much for joining us at all, as always. Have a great weekend. Appreciate it. That is Jackson Prosco, our uh, global Washington bureau chief. And uh, he calls us every Friday, talk to him about what's going on in the United States. Are you into the Olympics at all? Have you really kind of been into it for this games? Or are you one of those folks who feels like this probably shouldn't even have gone ahead? I know we have so many athletes that train here in Calgary and in Alberta that, you know, I think a lot of us are, are very much behind the athletes. And I, for one, I'm glad the games are going ahead. I think they're doing the best job they can in terms of not having people in the crowds though that certainly has got to be difficult for these athletes that work so hard and just want their families to be there supporting them i've been loving the olympics i'm not seeing as much as i'd like to in terms of coverage because of the time change but are you into the olympics have you been watching the canadian athletes going for gold and i think we've had some pretty good success so uh, let us know how you're feeling about the olympics 403-974-8255 the game is on right now and it is still one nil for sweden over canada in that gold medal uh, soccer game. Uh, just looking at the text line right now, getting uh, some texts in in terms of chatting with Jackson uh, and Rose says, does the open border with Mexico have anything to do with the surge of COVID in Texas? Uh, that's a great question. I'm not sure about that. We'll look into that a little bit further. Um, Debbie is saying, uh, looks like our liberal leader uh, training center to see 
whether they can get it right. Um, I think Debbie's replying to the question about whether there should be a mandated vaccination rule for federal employees. That's something that Trudeau is looking at and curious as to your thoughts on that as well. Um, you know, we certainly are getting a few texts about that and somebody asking for real numbers of people who have been double vaccinated but still getting sick and testing positive after they've been vaccinated twice. I, I believe it is possible, but I believe it is very slim and very low numbers in terms of those who have been double vaccinated. But you can get sick. It just means that your level of illness, if you were, will, would not be as high. You won't get as sick if you're vaccinated. That's for sure. We know that. That's a, that's a fact. We know that is the point of these vaccinations. So uh, real numbers, we certainly get them from the province and from the uh, federal governments once in a while. So we'll look into that and uh, I'll see if I can dig up that number for you today after yesterday's official number release. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google play or wherever you find your podcasts and tune in to mornings with sue and andy from 5 30 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 chqr